Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Granny A, and this week, what is the census used for? Behind every statistic is a person, as we're constantly reminded, and this Sunday every person in Ireland will become a statistic. On the 3rd of April, everyone in Ireland is being asked to fill in their census form, with the mountains of data gathered being used to paint a picture of what our country looks like where we live, how we work, what relationships we have, whether we're religious, whether we can speak Irish, and how educated we are. By comparing this data with previous census results, it could even give us a hint of what Ireland's future might look like. But the census is not held every five years for the sake of it. The data is used to inform the government about what action it needs to take to provide for the evolving population it serves. So what are we being asked this year that we haven't been asked before? How are new questions chosen and phrased? And when do we get to see the results? Joining me on the podcast today is Senior Statistician at the Central Statistics Office, Cormac Halpin, who is responsible for processing the data and disseminating the results of Census 2022. Cormac, what do we gain as a population from carrying out a census? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks very much, Gronia, for inviting me onto the podcast. The census collects a huge volume of statistical data about our society, about our economy and about our country, which is used very widely by a broad range of organisations for decision making, for planning, for investment decisions, and not just by government organisations, but by commercial organisations as well. There's also something in our constitution um, that requires after every census for a review to happen of all the constituency boundaries in the country. So the next elections um, will be using those new boundaries that arise after the, the census in 2022. I think people are familiar with the census as being a snapshot of the country at a point in time. So it provides a huge wealth of information about our national story um, on a particular day every five years and also the, the genealogical value of the census. So a lot of people would be familiar with the 1901 and 1911 censuses, which are available online for National Archives. So the census is a really uh, interesting repository of the state of our country in, in 2022. I think for me, the most powerful way of describing you know, how valuable the census is, is to think of a world without census data. So if we didn't have the rich variety of census data um, that we get every five years, you know, government decisions on things like where to build schools, you know, where to build roads, where to provide healthcare services would be done without any evidence. So, you know, it would become a form of guesswork or possibly even worse, you know, that areas who shout the loudest might get the investment. So it's it's really, really important. And it's you know a, a key input for a huge amount of decisions that happen both in the public and in the private sector. So Cormac, tell us about the basics. How do people get the forms? When do they fill it in? And how do they return the forms? Well, our enumerators have been busily delivering the forms to 2.2 million dwellings around the country for the last four and a half weeks. They've been knocking on every door, trying to make contact with householders. And when they do that, they ask some basic questions and then hand over the form. I'm conscious that we're quite close to the end now, and there are some parts of the country where people haven't got their forms. The enumerators will be calling to to as many houses as possible between now and then. But I would encourage people, if you haven't got your form yet, um, to log on to www.census.ie or to contact us on 0818-2022-04, and we will arrange for a enumerator to, to call to you at a time that suits you. Once you have your form, what we're asking you to do is on census night for any adult member of the household to fill in the form for themselves and for anybody else that might be in the the household that night. Then an enumerator will call to collect your form within the next five weeks after census night. They'll ask a few basic questions to make sure that the form has been completed correctly. And then that'll be it. Um, You won't hear from an enumerator again until the next census. Is there anything different about this year's census form compared to previous years? Yes, there's there's quite a lot of change in the census form this time round. 
So I, I think the most visible change that people will see is that there's eight new questions on the form, and there's also 25 changes to other questions. The new questions are in a range of different areas. Um, so internet access and devices, on smoke alarms, renewable energy sources, on smoking tobacco products, on working from home, on the return journey from your place of work, school or college to your home, on childcare and on volunteering. So quite a, a range of, of subjects there. There's also a new time capsule feature on the census form, which has been generating quite a lot of interest. So that's an optional part of the form where people can provide a message um, for, for the future, for their descendants or for future members of the public. For us behind the scenes in census, there's been quite a lot of change as well. I think probably the biggest change was the fact that this is census 2022 as opposed to census 2021. We, in conjunction with the government, took the decision towards the end of 2020 to postpone the census, which was due to take place in 2021 because of COVID. But I think that's, that's caused a lot of changes for us internally as well. A lot of the things that we had previously done in person were done online. I think in particular, the, the interviewing of our field staff and the training of our field staff. We've also developed a new smartphone application that people might see our new meters using. So that uh, allows them to record their interactions with each dwelling that they call to. Previously, this has been done in a paper notebook, but it provides us with a huge amount of information about what's happening out there across the country, whereas previously we were more reliant on verbal updates from our field staff. So it allows us to intervene if there's help needed in certain areas to, to deliver the forms or to collect them. We will see that much more quickly now than we would have done six years ago. Just to bring it back to the time capsule, how will people's responses be released and what exactly is the census looking for? Well, the time capsule is an optional part of the form. So the census people are not looking for anything in that. People can fill it in if they like. If they don't want to fill it out, that's that's absolutely fine as well. What we will do with that um, is actually quite little. Um, the, the time capsules will be kept along with the rest of the census forms for 100 years, which is in line with, with the legislation that governs the census. And it will be released at that point. All the, the time capsules will be released. They'll be made public with the census forms and all the notes and the information that people put into them at that point will be available to, to people's descendants and to historians and members of the public in the future. You mentioned eight new questions there. Are there any questions you wanted to include that didn't make the cut? We, we held a public consultation in 2017 where we in, invited members of the public, interested organisations to contact CSO to make submissions or suggestions about what they'd like to see on the next census. And I think it's fair to say that we were overwhelmed by the amount of interest that was there. There was over 400 submissions received um, from, from the public. So we would have loved to be able to include as many of those as possible, but unfortunately we're subject to certain constraints. We would possibly have a, you know, a 40 or 50 page form if we included all the questions and that's just not feasible. As well as that, there's a number of questions that we have to have on the census form under EU law. So that, that severely limits the amount of space that we have. We, we got lots of, of, of interesting submissions. One of my, my favorite ones was somebody was asking that we include a question on people's favorite sports team. Um, I'm, I'm not sure the government wants to take a position on whether people support Liverpool or Man United or, or Dublin or Kerry. So that didn't make the cut. Um, there was another question people wanted to know or someone wanted to know about the number of pets people had and, and which uh, different types of animals that they were. I think, you know, there were, there were some very affecting suggestions as well. So, for example, there was a number of organisations that said that the parents who had unfortunately had a stillborn baby couldn't record that anywhere in the census form. And there were some parents who were separated from their partner who couldn't record uh, their relationship to their children who were living in a separate dwelling. The census, of course, um, collects information on census night. So the time capsule is, is you know, partly inspired by, by those suggestions. So it gives people the opportunity to record information on the census form that isn't in the questions. Very interesting. I got my census form the other week and it's quite quite a long document. How long does it take you guys to sort through all that data once the forms are returned? 
So when the forums come back into us, which will happen throughout uh, May and June, we'll spend effectively the next six months processing the data. And by processing, we mean scanning the forms, turning the handwritten information into digital information, and ultimately creating um, a statistical data set that we can use to, to produce information from it. So we would expect to be uh, spending the next six months doing that. And then the first few months of next year, getting the data set ready for publication. And we're hoping to start producing statistical releases from the census in, in April. So that's the point when people will see the official population figures. How much of the data is manually processed? And is a form ever disregarded because it was spoiled, kind of like an election vote would be? So there, there's actually very little uh, manual handling of, of the forms. So once the enumerator has collected people's forms, they will gather all the forms for their area, box them up, and they will be securely transported back to, to the CSO. When we get the, the forms back in, all the different boxes back in, back in, they'll be arranged by county on extensive shelving that we have in our census HQ. And we will work through the forms then to, to scan them um, on our high-speed scanners. So once that bit is done, the, the forms are returned to the shelving and they won't be used again by CSO until they're removed to secure storage. The rest of the process then is really about electronic capture and cleaning and coding of the data. When I say capture, I mean the, the reading of the, the handwritten information onto from the forms into a digital format. Cleaning um, means tidying up the data. So we try as, as best we can with the technology that we have to interpret the handwriting, but that's not always possible. So in some cases, we need um, a member of staff to, to look at the handwritten response to make sure that the handwriting has been interpreted. And the coding part of it effectively means putting it into a format that's easy for us to use when we're publishing our, our information next time around. As regards information um, that uh, is, isn't used, I would say that enumerators will check the forms when they're collected at the doorstep to make sure that the questions have been correctly answered. So it's actually quite rare that we get um, answers that, that that mightn't be that useful, but we will attempt to code everything that, that comes back into us. There might be some answers that, that mightn't be that useful, but we will put them into a category such as other for each question. Um, so they will they will be recorded in the census. So once you have all that data, how is it used once it's officially published? The first thing I would say in terms of the results is that we will be releasing a preliminary population count towards the end of June. That won't be the official one, um, but it's, it, it gets quite a lot of coverage. It's our, it's our first estimate at the population. As I said, the official estimate will come out later in the year. In terms of what the CSO does with the data, we produce a very wide range um, of statistical information. So the one that might be the most visible and that people might be more familiar with are the thematic releases. So we produce dedicated publications that look at things like commuting patterns, jobs um, and the economy, um, health and disability, migration and diversity. And those those publications are aimed at people who might be casual users of the data to the public or, or maybe to the media. So there are lots of focus on visualizations, on graphs, on charts, on maps. They're very user-friendly. There's not long amount of text in them. So that'll be the, the, the most accessible way of, of, of uh, presenting the data. We also produce a very wide range of data tables, which are more typically used by people that are more used to working with data, data analysts, for example. So they can go in there to our website, cso.ie, to, to download the data to create the tables themselves. We also have some interesting publications we'll be releasing. Um, we have small area maps. These are kind of neighborhood statistics. Small areas are um, kind of neighborhoods, as I said, they're areas of about 250 dwellings. So maybe your housing estate or your, your block of flats. So we produce very interesting data across a range of census questions for areas that are, that are quite small. There's 18,000 of them around the country. So you can imagine that they're um, quite, quite insightful. We're also producing a publication with our colleagues in Northern Ireland, a joint Ireland-Northern Ireland publication this time, which hasn't been done in, in, in 10 years. So it's effectively going to be like a census release for the whole country. So there's, there's a very broad range of information that we produce from the census. 
Very interesting. And I think a lot of people will be more used to seeing graphs and and numbers and statistics uh, since the COVID-19 pandemic has hit. In terms of how it's used outside the CSO by the government, other arms of the state or private companies, how do they use CSO data? Well, I think maybe the best way to, to address that, Gronje, is to give you a couple of examples. So we know that the Department of Education um, would use the, the information that we produce from the census to help them plan for, for schools in terms of new schools um, or potentially expanding existing schools. So if you can imagine that the census captures everybody's age. So planners like the Department of Education would be able to see where there might be you know, a significant number of children that are age, between the ages of naught and five, which might indicate that there could be a need for a primary school if there isn't one there already. It's also used to allocate DESH status to disadvantaged schools, um, which increases the funding for those schools. So it's very important. If we look at another arm of government, um, people might be familiar with the Bus Connect scheme um, that was done within Dublin by the National Transport Authority. That leaned very heavily on census data. So we collect lots of information about commuting so that the census will tell you at a, an aggregated level where people live and um, where they're going to work how they're getting to work, which mode of transport they take, how long it takes them. And this time around, we'll also be getting the reverse journey, which for the first time, how long it'll take people to go from their place of work or school or college back home. So it'll provide very rich information to transport planners to allow them to decide where the best place is to put public transport of different types or potentially to build roads, bridges, that kind of infrastructure. And again, to go back to the point I made earlier on, without that information, it becomes to a degree guesswork. So it's very important that information is used. I think another big user of it is, is the HSE. Um, just before I spoke with you, I went onto the HSE's website and searched there for Census 2016. And I was astounded by the amounts of citations that came up. It's very, very widely used by the HSE to roll out healthcare provision, potentially hospital services and, and, and things like that. It's also used by research and academic bodies. So we know that the ESRI has recently published a report on the integration of migrants into Irish society. That paper was based on census data as well. So you can see that informing government um, decisions on integration of migrants. It's not just used by, by academics and government bodies, as I said. So commercial um, organizations use census data as well. We know at least of one major supermarket chain that uses census data when it's making decisions on where to locate its supermarkets. So that's a, a direct benefit to the local economy in terms of jobs. So that's just national uses. It's, it's used internationally as well. Um, every EU member state is required to hold a census around this time. That data that they, they generate is provided to the EU. So there is a, a legal aspect to it as well. And, and we're included in that. What about the sources of data we have in between censuses being held? How how does that work? In between censuses, so typically there are five years in between censuses. What, what we do is we produce annual population estimates. So that starts with census data. So in this case, it'll start with 2022. For each year, it'll add on the number of people that are born. It'll subtract the number of people who have died in the meantime. It'll add on the number of people who have immigrated into Ireland and it'll remove the number of people that have emigrated from Ireland. So that then is rolled forward for each year after the census. We're conscious that there is a growing demand among our users, not least um, from the EU, for more detailed information because that information, the annual population estimates, is, is quite broad brush and nowhere near as detailed as the census. So the CSO is working on developing new ways of counting the population um, that we hope to be able to produce every year. Um, that will probably take effect in the next three to four years. How often does real data throw up surprises from what was predicted five years previous in the last census? Well, I think I think statisticians are a pretty stoic bunch. We don't we don't tend to do surprises very much. We tend to be guided by the data. So we, we keep a fairly close um, eye on the trends that, that that come out. So, you know, we'd have a pretty good idea what the population should be in ballpark and some of the, the, the major variables in the census form. We, we have an expectation what they might be. 
There are, of course, as I mentioned, eight new questions on the census form. So that will throw up new data and that will be very interesting and no doubt some surprises will come from that. I think personally speaking, having worked on, on two censuses up to now, what I find really interesting is when the data corroborates the received wisdom. So for example, you know, in, in 2006, there was a significant amount of inward migration into Ireland um, from Eastern European countries, um, from the likes of Poland, Lithuania, and so on. And then we saw that reflected in the results from the census in 2006, where there was a big increase in the number of, of Polish people and people from other Eastern European countries. As well as that, if, if you look at the age profile of counties that might be in the commuter belt, so for example, for, for Dublin in likes of Leash um, and Kildare and Mead, we've seen a big increase of um, kind of younger, younger adults possibly moving out of Dublin and then following that, uh, an increase in the number of young children. So it's it's kind of stuff that you expect would happen, but it's actually great to see, to me anyway, to see it in the data when that, that comes out in the census results. So you can see how people are living their lives basically by how these trends emerge from censuses. Yeah, exactly. So every question that's asked in the census form is, is asked for a reason. And, you know, the date of birth might seem like something something that people are, in, are used to doing from various forums from the government and other organisations or putting in their age. But we will use it for, for that purpose to provide a breakdown of the ages, which is very useful, as I said, to providers like uh, Department of Education and then maybe on the, 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 the older part of the age spectrum to the HSC in terms of rollout of, of healthcare services for older people. What about when something big and unexpected happens that might change the population? For example, thousands of Ukrainian refugees are going to come and live in Ireland over the next few months. How will the census and the CSO capture that? So we have been in contact with the Department of Children and the Ukrainian Embassy to get the best steer we can on, on where uh, people might be going when they arrive in Ireland. We've also been logistically trying to cater for it as well by printing more forms um, to ensure that every Ukrainian person who is present in Ireland on census night has the opportunity to create the, uh, to complete their census form. And we've also translated the census form into Ukrainian. So that's available on our website, census.ie. And it'll also be um, physically, uh, some of the numerators will physically have them as well when they're going out to help the Ukrainians who mightn't speak English. How is the data that's gathered in the census stored and where is all this data stored? Well, I think the first thing that I'd say there is that confidentiality is an absolute cornerstone of, of not just the census, but the whole of the central statistics uh, organization. It, it's really important to us to make sure that people's confidentiality is protected. And we are forbidden by law to, to provide identifiable personal information to any other body, be that government or otherwise. So that's something that's a guiding principle for us. So the forms themselves, when they come back, I mentioned previously that they are stored in our CSO warehouse until the, the, the processing of the forms is complete. Uh, ultimately, they will be shipped to offsite storage where they will remain for several decades. At some point in the future, then they will be um, taken by the National Archives, who will begin preparing them for release. So that will happen after 100 years. The actual digital data, um, so we anonymize that and we store it on CSO servers in the CSO. The data never leaves the CSO. Access is restricted to a very small number of statistical staff within the CSO. We also do all of our processing on a closed network. So there's no access to the data from the Internet. It's, it's very, very secure. So when you have all this data and it's been processed, when will that data from Census 2022 be released and in what form will it be released in? So the, the, the preliminary results, as I said, will be published towards the end of June. The fully processed official results, we're hoping to start releasing it from April of next year. The, the main format that people will see will be a series of thematic releases. So we'll be hoping to release those approximately every month from April next year, running into 2024. So there'll be a very broad range of, of topics, such as 
population distribution, which will include information about how various counties and towns population has changed, how people have moved between different parts of the country between census 2016 and this census, and how the various populations at county level, at town level, for example, have been affected by inward and outward migration. We'll also do one on commuting, um, which will be very interesting to see, I think, after COVID, to see how many people might be working from home that mightn't have been uh, previously, and the introduction of blended working. And we'll also do ones on areas like levels of education, people's occupational profile, disability, health, carers, the homeless, uh, homelessness situation in Ireland, on the traveling community. It's a very, very broad range. People can have a look at the CSO website to see what we produced in 2016. And we're probably producing uh, quite similar outputs that are very much aimed at you know, a broad audience with engaging statistics, as opposed to just dry tables of data, which we might have been guilty of doing in the past. When you're talking about what the census is used for to paint a picture of Ireland and to get an idea of what the individuals in Ireland are like, it's understandable to see why people might be a bit upset that there's not more flexibility on the gender question. Why is there no question on gender for people who might not identify as what is written on their birth cert? So we're very conscious that, that gender identity is a, is a very important area for, for many people. And, and we are conscious that there is some disappointment that there's not a question on gender identity on the census this time round. I might just give a bit of background on, on to why that is the case. So we held a public consultation in 2017 to invite submissions from the public and from organisations to give us a steer on, on what they might want to see included on the census next time round. And we did um, get some submissions from individuals and organisations re requesting a gender identity question. We formed what was known as a census advisory group, which was a group of about 40 individuals um, that came from organisations that use census data. And as part of the deliberations between the CSO um, and the census advisory group, the recommendation that emerged was because gender identity is such a new area of statistical data collection, that the CSO needed to have a really robust and reliable question on gender identity and on making sure that it was comprehensible to as many people as possible and that there was clarity in how it interacted with the sex question in the data. So what the CSO was charged with doing um, at that point was to go away to develop a new question on gender identity. We have subsequently done that as part of our household surveys and our pulse surveys, which is a new range of surveys that we have uh, introduced. Um, and we've reached the point now where we have a question on gender identity that we will be putting forward as part of the consultation for the next census in 2027. Now, all questions on the 2027 census will have to go through the same process to get approval from the census advisory group and ultimately the government. But we are confident that the question on gender identity that has been developed is statistically robust. So, yes, um, we are conscious that, that people may be disappointed that there isn't one there, but we have made a lot of progress on it since then. Um, and as I said, we are confident that subject to the usual testing um, and validation procedures, that there should be um, a, a robust question on gender identity available for consideration for 2027. It sounds like developing questions is quite a long process. Is, is it usually that long for questions? There's there's a lot of a lot of constraints go, goes into it. Um, you know, I think I think the main consideration to, to, to take cognizance of is the fact that the census form goes into every single dwelling in the country. So lots of different levels of literacy, lots of different levels of comprehension of different topics on the census form, people that speak different languages. So you really have to make the questions as accessible as possible. There are some questions in census form that, you know, experts in the area don't think are technical enough. And we, we fully get that. And we fully appreciate that. But, you know, maybe the best way to ask some of those questions is through a survey targeted at, at certain audiences. The census has to be accessible to as many people as possible. And that's a really important principle for us. Just on the language issue, if people have difficulty reading or writing or might not speak English, how are they helped to fill out their census form? 
I think the first line of support uh, for the census is, is the enumerator. So we're, we're quite unique um, among developed countries in that we have enumerators knocking on every single door in the country. Those enumerators are, are, are very well trained to provide support to people. They're informed how to provide accessibility aids to people, um, how to interpret the questions and how to answer the questions. So that's a really valuable resource. Um, and I would encourage people you know, to, to ask their enumerator if they have any questions or queries about the forms. The enumerators also have a, you know, a direct line through their management back to, to CSO HQ. So we're there available to support the field staff um, if needs be. I would, I would ask people to have a look at www.census.ie to see the full range of individual accessibility supports we have available. So I, I'll just mention some of the key ones. Um, for people who might be visually impaired, we have access to a large print form um, that's downloadable from our website. We have um, an audio translation of the form. So the questions are, are read out on that. That's available in digital and CD format. And we also have access to a Braille form that can be requested from people's enumerator. For people who might be hearing impaired, we have a video on our website whereby the form is translated uh, into Irish Sign Language and there are subtitles in that video as well. We have the census form translated into 22 different languages and thankfully Ukrainian, as I said, is one of those. Um, and we've also got a plain English guide to the census form, so this might be useful for people who might have literacy issues. Um, it gives a very um, de-jargonized, if, if I can coin a phrase there, um, interpretation of the census form and makes it much easier to, to interpret. So they're all available on the website, but I would say to people that the first the first area that they should contact is to talk to their enumerator who will be able to point them in the right direction. How will missing out on a year due to COVID impact on the census data? I think the most obvious impact will be that the data will be a year later. So, you know, people will be a year older. There will be people who unfortunately have passed away in the meantime, and there will be people who have been born in the meantime. But I, I think what will be really interesting will be a number of the questions in the forum. So we had the, I'll say foresight, but but it might be luck um, to include a question on working from home. That'll be very interesting to see what, what comes out of that. So that asks people, do they work from home? And if so, how many days a week? That'll generate very interesting data. And, and similarly, the commuting information might be quite interesting as well. And we might see very different patterns of commuting than we saw in 2016. We ask questions on health and disability. Both of those could be affected by COVID and, and might be quite different um, compared to a situation where the, the pandemic didn't happen. And similarly, occupation, um, we, we will see if people's occupational profile has changed significantly because of the pandemic. I think the, the other big change we might see is the number of Ukrainian people in Ireland. Between In, in 2016, there was about two to 3,000 people um, that were either of Ukrainian nationality or born in the Ukraine. We'd expect that number to increase um, anywhere between 10, 20, 30,000, depending on the number of Ukrainians that come into the country and are there on census night. The census is obviously filled in by hand at the moment. When will people be able to fill in the census form online? We won't have an online option for this census, but we have been doing a lot of work on the next census, which, as I mentioned, is in census 2027. I'm quite pleased that the government has agreed in principle that census 2027 will go online. So people will see in 2027 that their first contact with the census won't be with a numerator knocking on the door. It'll be with um, an invitation letter to participate in the census coming through their letterbox with an access code whereby they'll be able to complete the census on their mobile phone, their tablet, um, their laptop, or whatever other technology exists in 2027. Finally, Cormac, is the census what everyone in the CSO gets excited about? I'll, I'll be careful of using the royal we on this one. I, th I think it probably depends on which statistician you ask. I, I have plenty of colleagues in the CSO who probably aren't too impressed by the amount of bandwidth that the, the census takes up and relegates some of their surveys into the shadows. Um, I, I think I would say, working in the census, that, that this year is, is very challenging. We're, we're extremely busy um, between the delivery and the collection of the forms and then the processing of the forms next year. 
But I think for the statisticians, and this is probably very sad, next year is the icing on the cake. So, you know, we're in the privileged position that we get first access to the, the census data set. So we get to dig into that as data analysts and, and see the, the narrative of the country as it's changed over the last six years. We see the trends, we see the changes. It's really, really interesting to do. Um, you know, you could probably spend decades publishing census information. There's so much of it there. But we have to make our judgment on, on what's the most interesting and the most relevant stuff to report to people. So that's that's really exciting. And, you know, the, the fact, as I mentioned, that we produce lots of thematic releases means that we can kind of focus and, and hone the narrative and the stories. And I think we're all really keen to kind of bring that to people and to make the data accessible and not rely on just dry tables of data, which, you know, people might have a perception that's what statisticians do. We want to kind of bring this out and bring the colour to the census and see why people spend their time filling in the form. Amazing. Thank you for all of that, Cormac. I'm going to start brainstorming my time capsule message now. Thank you for listening to The Explainer and thank you to Cormac for joining us. This episode of The Explainer was brought to you by producers Nikki Ryan and Aoife Barry and my co-host Michelle Hennessy. If you want to support The Explainer, there are a few things you can do. Head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute to become a one-off or monthly subscriber. You can also leave a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's a great way to help other people find us and to listen to our work. Thank you. Slán Thamel. <laughs>